Chapter 18 Fatherhood Requires Childness What does it mean that we may come to God with personal and familial address, that we can look upward, seeking His face, and call Him by that most private and confidential word, Father, and even the more intimate, Abba, as if there were only the two of us in all the universe. Of what is this intimacy comprised? What prevents even diligent seekers from apprehending this central theme of the gospel story, causing them to satisfy their spiritual hungers with lesser meat? What so obscures the vision even of God's spiritual offspring from perceiving with clarity that which was the guiding truth of Jesus every moment? If the instinct exists within the men and women of God's making to look up to fatherhood, why do they so often, like the animals, seek horizontal fulfillment only? Why do they turn their eyes away from that very thing for which their spirits yearn? The answer to this pivotal question can be stated with far more simplicity than its truth can be translated into life. It is this. There can be no fatherhood without corresponding childness. To acknowledge God as Father requires that I acknowledge myself as His child. Acknowledge that there is one above me. One who will always be above me, older than me, bigger than me, wiser than me, infinite where I am finite, eternal where I am temporal, creator where I am merely created. In every way the brain can imagine, he is the more, I am the less. He is the initiator. I can only respond. I am utterly, unconditionally, and in all ways his child. My reliance upon him is total. I cannot live, cannot love, cannot think, cannot feel, cannot reason, cannot choose, cannot create, apart from his spirit breathing life through me. It is a relationship of dependence that I will never outgrow. The very notion of self-rule is dead altogether. The godness, authority, and supreme masculinity of fatherhood merge into a finality of overlordship from which there is not even the possibility of escape. Ever. Ultimate fatherhood is eternally over us. Such are the components, the chemical formula, of the blue mountain air above the gray valley clouds. It goes against everything valley society has ingrained into us and everything we would prefer to believe. The man or woman who resists this overarching truth by which the universe hangs together, holding out the vain and impossibly foolish fantasy that we may exist somehow out from under it, is destined to a life of constantly bumping against the painfully pricking goads 
of attempted self-reliance and self-rule. When we identify God as Father, however, it is not a relationship of dependence that is begrudgingly acknowledged. It is one joyfully welcomed. Then first do we understand the overlordship of the universe. Recognizing the masculinity, the authority, and the goodness of divine fatherhood, we must choose to walk in our childness in submission to the Father. If the greatest stumbling block to recognizing the magnificence of God's fatherhood is earthly fatherhood, then the greatest stumbling block to intimacy with the Father himself is the independence every human soul craves. Independence. I am my own. I need none other. Here is the great barrier to the fulfillment of our destiny, the world's single great evil, the cause of all unhappiness abroad in the land, and the source of all frustrations and anxieties and that nagging sense dogging the heels that life is somehow not all it ought to be. Independence. It is the great lie of the universe. It is what turns Satan into the enemy of God's every purpose. In his heart, the power of love became the love of power. It is the inbred orientation that sits at stark odds with the one necessity of vertical significance, bowing before one greater. Independence says, I will be no one's child. Childness? Ha! I outgrew that years ago. I am an independent entity, sufficient unto myself. I will not submit. No one will tell me what to do. I am my own master. I will call no one father. Without acknowledged childness, intimacy with fatherhood is impossible. Though childness is required, however, it is not an attitude toward him even the father can make us adopt. He will never force any knee to bow before him. Do we believe that Philippians 2.10 is literally true? The Greek, kamto, which Paul uses as to bend, indicates a chosen, willing, and worshipful veneration, not one of coercion. Our knees bend and our hands raise in humility and submission, only when we choose it. Such exceeding, such a laying down of self-rule, such a willing abandonment of one's life into the hands of another is brought about by a decision. Engaging the will into chosen harmony with our Maker brings the mind, heart, and soul into alignment behind it. Thus, if we are kept from the very intimacy we long for, we do not make closer approach to that fatherhood toward which our instinct draws us. We do not drink of that water with which our soul thirsts to be satisfied. 
if we refuse to reach toward that high destiny that is the home in which our heart was made to dwell, we do so by our own choice. Father, help us to see that you are not some cruel celestial taskmaster determined to pin us under your thumb. Help us to recognize this most deadly of all snares, masterminded by a society whose granaries of truth have gone bankrupt, that independence leads to happiness. May we recognize the rightness, the truth, and the contentment inherent within a full interactive dependence upon the Father of Jesus Christ as we extend our quest into the uppermost regions whence spring the only wells of fulfillment to be found in creation. 